The Lord be with you. Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, welcome, everybody. Glad to be here. I just mentioned John's up in uh, D.C. area playing granddaddy and that sort of thing, which I did last week, so I know he's having fun and uh, whatnot. But last week, uh, he said he touched on a little bit uh, starting at um, in chapter 2 at verse 25 of Romans. They just kind of, I got the impression, just kind of read it and then the bell rang and decided to let us start here today, which is good. But Starting at uh, Romans 2, verses 25 through 29, and I'll read it. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So that if a man who is circumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. He's, you know, responding to them about, you know, as we've said before, there was a conflict in the Roman church between those who were Jewish or had been Jewish and those who had been Gentiles or Greek, which is interchangeable in the way Paul's talking about it. And lots of groups, and Paul and Peter had had the conversation about whether you had to become a Jew and be circumcised before you could become a Christian. And Paul, as part of this letter to the Romans, is responding to that because the Jews had the concept, if you will, their understanding, their belief, their wish, if you will, was that regardless of what they did, their covenant relationship with God protected them from judgment. But Paul is responding that, you know, if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, obviously, if it's physical, you can't undo it, even though one of the uh, narratives I read said that uh, sometimes people back then that decided they didn't want to be Jewish anymore tried to reverse it. But you know, it's he's getting to what circumcision is, and it's of the heart. It's what's within. Um, and that's why he's responding to them as he did. Um, and what's interesting is when you do that, and looking back, I didn't really pick up on this until I was doing it, but in uh, Deuteronomy... Uh, verses uh, chapter 10, verses 16, uh, he says, 
Hmm, I've got to look at the right. Uh, 10.16, excuse me. I do have a reference to chapter 4. But um, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcision, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Yeah, so Moses was telling them that it was circumcision of the heart, how the inward person was. And even Jeremiah um, made a comment about that. Uh, Jeremiah 4.4, 4, Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your heart. You know, so it's the inward and, uh, and how they respond to it. Um, and I debated doing this, but I stopped at Western to do it because to me it's, a, it's corny, but it, it, it shows a difference. And uh, just bear with me. This is two boxes of brand flakes. House brand, no, name brand, the Jew. House brand, the Gentile. Swap the inner bags, and what have you got? It's not name brand, price, you know. It's, and so that's what he's trying to tell them. It's not what you think from your physical, it's what's inside of you. So even though I can swap the bags of raisin brand, um, it, it's not what it is. The box doesn't tell you anything. The heart is what shows. And so Paul's trying to say to them, it's what you are inside, not what you think you are because of your tribe, your ethnicity. And so he's trying to hit that with them. That they're, you know, and so where they're in 29, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. The Spirit transforms. And so it's that heart within you that is transformed, and not by the letter. The letter, the, the law itself, reading it, that doesn't change you. It makes you aware of what the law is, and even over in, uh, we'll get to later, but uh, verse 20 of, in chapter 3, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so you've got the law. You haven't done anything with it. You just think you're protected because you're God's own. And his praise comes not from man but from God. You know, Rachel, when she named her children, named Judah as her praise. That's where Judah comes from. And Jew comes from Judah. So your praise, your Judaism, if you will, is not from man but from God. It's the praise. It's the inward. So he's trying to get the readers there in Rome to understand that those that were Jewish by birth are really no better off because of their circumcision than a Gentile who has the law written on his heart and responds accordingly. It's who we are internally, what it's in our heart. And so Paul's pushing that on them as they go through and try to help them 
get past this point of do you have to become a Jew and be circumcised before you can become a Christian? It was very much an ongoing debate within the Christian early Christian church to the extent that there were Jews that followed Paul around and pointed out that he was wrong because, even though Paul and Peter had subsequently resolved the issue between them. Paul carried the day um, in explaining to him, and I guess in some ways, what better person than the Paul the Pharisee uh, to explain how the law would be on your heart, not just in the books you're reading, in which, you know, it's reading from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, they apparently conveniently forgot about sometimes because they didn't appreciate that it had to be by the heart. Now, if someone would be kind enough, and I guess at this point, we always look to you, Coffee, for first time. If you would be kind enough to read verses 1 through 8, I'd appreciate it. 1 through 8 and 3? Yes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Oh, speak in human way. I speak in human way, <clears throat> but by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds in his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do not evil, why, why do not evil that good may come? As some, for, for some people slanderously charge us with saying, their, con their condemnation is just. <laughs> Don't tire there. Thank you. If you would, then what advantage has the Jew? It's, it could be translated, then what benefit has the Jew? You know, what do they have? You know, of what is the value of circumcision? You know, they, um, if, if you have to go through that. And it's still showing that you have been entrusted with God to share. That's one of the things that, you know, in looking back in a lot of respects, the Jewish nation didn't appreciate what their selection was, and that was to share God in a way that showed that God was God and not to hold it to themselves. And so they had been entrusted in the outward circumcision, circumcision, circumcision was what identified them as God's chosen and what they were supposed to be doing. And then the laws were entrusted with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were entrusted with what's God's law, the Ten Commandments, and then what the prophets said and shared. And they weren't doing that. Now, 
a lot of the Gentiles looked to hear what the oracles of the God in lower case would be saying, so by using that terminology, Paul's probably pointing out a little bit more to the Gentiles in the Greek that it was the laws, but he used a term that may be more familiar with some of the Jews and Greeks that would be reading this. And what if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? No, it doesn't. God is going to be faithful in what he has promised. And to, to think otherwise would be to call God a liar. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Now, God is going to judge as God's going to judge. He's laid out for us, basically, You've either got to do the law perfectly or you've got to accept the free gift that we have through Christ. But we have to confess that. And so God's judgment will be true and you won't be delivered from it by not knowing. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? No. And Paul will get into this more in chapters 9 through 11. He's just introducing this to us that, you know, if, if we, by our unrighteousness, and shows God's righteousness, does that, you know, um, is God unrighteous to inflict wrath on us because, you know, if he's righteous and we do wrong, why should he punish us? And I thought about here and <laughs> talking about the football game a while, a few minutes ago, it hit me with that number 17. That was the guy right at the end of the game that next to last score that Ole Miss scored when he got the unsportsmanlike conduct for taking his helmet off. And so Ole Miss had to kick further back and the ball didn't go as close to the end zone and it would have gone out of the end zone. So Alabama, in theory, gets the ball in better position and is running back, but the guy fumbles the ball. And Ole Miss gets it. Now, I suspect when they're watching film today, Hugh Freeze, while maybe kind of thankful for what happened, he's still going to tell number 17, you shouldn't have done that. The rules are. Why is that? I think sometimes something like that is seen as toning. I've forgotten it sometime when they put it in. They put in rules to, you know, supposedly minimize that toning and whatnot and just celebration. You know, you can celebrate, but it was like, you know, the NFL player last week got penalized for celebration when he was a Muslim and went to double knees and his head to the ground and got... It's still the rules or, you know, the game. I mean, it's... You know, and, and so, but my point here is there was, you know, a benefit potentially from what he did, but he still was wrong, and I suspect the coaches are going to tell him, you're wrong. They're not going to say thank you. They're going to recognize. So, you know, God is not going to sit and say, thank you for doing wrong to make me look better. 
to make a lot of good points. And I still don't understand why they ever made the rule about taking your helmet off. You can once you get to the sideline. Yeah. I think part of the celebration aspect is taking it off and saying, look at me. I'm on TV now. I did something. Well, he wasn't even the one that did it. <laughs> he wasn't the one that scored. But, you know, there was a big question back a couple of years ago, and I forgot the game, when um, Terrence Cody supposedly took his helmet off, and there was a question whether Alabama should have been penalized because he took it off before he got to the sideline. And they didn't get penalized, but, you know, people that were on the other side of the loss complained about that, but the rule was. And so, but my point here is, here is, is that, you know, the fact that he did that had a beneficial outcome, but he still broke it. And in the same, you know, broke the rule, same thing here is, in breaking the rule, it can make God look better, but that doesn't mean God's judgment doesn't come down on the wrongdoing. And maybe that law was made by one of the rabbinical students <laughs> in the NCAA who remembers there had to be 618 laws to be held, to be performed. I think it's some guy having his head all sweaty and he just wants to get some air under his... No, he, he was celebrating with it off. He was oh, prancing. Um, yeah. So, kind of like Alan said, look at me, look at us. We have we have tied this game. We're taking it to you. Um, but you know, so. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Well, you know, sin is sin. And why not do evil that good may come? You know. <laughs> Some people would say, you know, just if I help somebody out and I'm breaking the law, so what? But you could have hurt somebody too. You know, it's um, so the condemnation, the penalty is there regardless. You know, if I, if, you know, it's almost like Robin Hood. If he goes and steals, he's still stealing even if he gave to the poor. You know, you can try to justify your wrong, but it doesn't change it from being wrong. Yeah. You're looking at me, Frank, like there's a question coming. Uh, well, I, I'm just curious about... Um, I, I, I have Paul Rollins on this question about these televangelists. They go out and make millions and millions and millions of dollars by their healing people, you know, touch by tele, touch television, set to be healed, and all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, and my question was, these guys are there for the money. They're not, they're not real true Christians. That was a judgment on my part. But, um, and I said, shouldn't everybody condemn these guys? I mean, why, you know, why are they allowed to go on? Are, are, are they are they doing any good? And his point was that if anybody, which I thought was a good point, if anybody is brought to Christianity through these guys. And they, they'll probably sell out in the, you know, in the, you know, in the hinterlands that will be brought to the faith in Christ because of what they hear or see from these guys. And they're performing, they're, they are, they are performing a service that is good for the you know, spread of God's word. You mean it's not Christian to make money? I don't think it's Christian. I mean, you can't, 
judge somebody's Christianity based on whether they have any book There's no question about that. When you see these guys that are reporting to heal people on TV, and you read, you hear all these stories, and if it's not true, it's not all set up. Well, then if it's it's false. If it's false. And and I don't know for sure that it's false. But I I know if I had a headache and I wouldn't make, you know, I'd put my hand on the television when Oral Roberts is preaching, that my headache ain't going to go away. And then I have a faith on my part, but it also is. Is, you know, we'll send in your prayer request for fifteen dollars, and we'll put you on our list. You know, and we've got all these tracks for sale. I, I, I don't think there's anything question about making, in my opinion, about making money. But I think there's something wrong with these guys reporting to be true servants of God when they're when they're in it for the money. Now, that's hard to distinguish. Coffee. There's a passage that I can't give you the chapter and verse. Wherein the disciples, the apostles, went to Jesus and said, Jesus, there's a wise man over there casting out demons in, in our name, but he's not one of us. And Jesus said, but he's doing the Lord's work. He's doing the work that we are sent to do. And there's a second thing, or a second item that sort of runs along with that. The heresy, and I believe it's a donatism, which says that the validity of the sacrament depends on the validity of the administrator and that's wrong. The sacrament is the sacrament, even if it's given by, even if it's performed by a person who is not honest in his approach. That's sort of like in the military, you always respect a commanding officer. You respect the colonel if you're a lieutenant. He may be the sorriest scum of the earth, <laughs> but you respect the office which he holds, not the person. And that's, that is the, that's the key factor, I think. My personal opinion. Well, you know, kind of in your question and, and, and setting aside the the money aspect of the televangelist or whoever, like Paul's all said, if the word is heard and somebody comes to Christ through hearing it, that's good, but it doesn't change the evil that might have created the opportunity. it doesn't change the evil that created the opportunity for this person to hear the message. So if I'm, you know, like in, if I'm administering the sacrament, but I'm just doing it just for the, you know, to go through the motions and whatnot, either accepting it or administering it, it doesn't do benefit. So the person that is, you know, preaching and may be doing it in a crossed-up way, but if somebody hears that message and truly comes to Christ, then it served the purpose. They've heard it. They've benefited from hearing it. But the person that has done it is not going to get an attaboy pat on the back for having done it because they did it with evil intent. Well, with that's what our judgment is. But I guess that's what I was saying. It's hard to judge other people's motives. Even, even if the outcome is good, unless that person has confessed, and we do have some who have confessed yeah. to those things. I'm contaminated because I went to a college this morning where they have a seminary. And I, I had a number of friends that were theologists, theology students. And I can remember that so many of these guys, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but so many of them, there's a certain day in July or May or April, whenever they get their 
in other words, from their home diocese or where their parish, what parish they're going to be assigned to when they graduate from seminary. And um, so many of these guys that I watched were primarily concerned about what the salary was going to be, whether it's a country club membership, whether they're in a good part of town. I mean, it was not, you know, you, you tend to think that your, that your budding young priest wanted to go where they could do the most good or where they can help support the people if they need or whatever. So I'm contaminated by that experience and I, therefore I'm distrustful a lot of, of a lot of new priests until they prove to me that, that you know, I want them on you know, they just they have to earn again the, the right to be on that pedestal. So I put them on. Well it, it's very similar to physicians, isn't it? So yeah. they want to be yeah. surgeons because they want to make all the money but they don't make them any plus is that the anything to do with them being a good surgeon? It does. It's a. If that's their primary goal, but who's who are we? To, I mean, I, you know. It's, well, it's, one, it's, one thing to always remember, in my in my opinion, the priesthood is people by human beings like you and like me. They all have, most of them have some flaw, some some imperceivable or some perceptible flaw in what they do. Some have the wrong reason for going into the ministry, but the other the other side of the coin is the message they bring is it's the you know who is it the guy that said the medium is the message? Well, I think the message is the medium. I think the message that they bring is what counts. Not don't don't worry about the vessel being cracked. Just remember that the vessel is bringing it to you. So you think what? it's all right to, to preach something that you don't really believe? Well, well, what, what, well, what Paul is trying to tell us here is, is you know, somebody says, well, if I do evil and that helps somebody come, well, I'll do all the evil I can, and that's what he's trying to get them to understand is that's not what you need to be doing, is trying to see how much evil I can do to get more people to come to Christ, I'm still going to be condemned. And so, as Mary said, we can't judge the motive of that person that's the televangelist or the surgeon to make more money or whatever it is. We see what it is. We can appreciate maybe the good of that person hearing the message and coming to Christ, even though the motive behind preaching it, that message, may be tainted. It's you know, we don't need to go out and see how much evil we can do to make God glorified, is what Paul is trying to get them to understand in this argument. And so, you know, and then as we look to verse 9 in the next section, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. You know, so... In this case, even though we have, we're Jewish and we have the law, we're protected. No, you're not. Well, because I've gone out and done these bad things, it's helped God look better and be more righteous, so I'm still okay. No, you're not. We're sinned, and, that's, and God's righteousness is we're going to be judged. We can't figure out corners to skirt to avoid that judgment. There's only one way. We're still going to be judged, but we'll be judged clean. Do you think there's any sin, any sin that's bad enough that you can't be forgiven if you, if you 
If, if you, yeah, I, but I mean, you know, I think in reading and that if we truly confess our sin and trust Jesus as our Savior, you know, I think we kind of got to believe that that person, whether it's us or somebody else, is. But you don't need to go through your life trying to do all the bad you can and then hope at the last minute you get that 30 seconds before you pass. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't hear all of it from here. What, what were you saying, Dick? Something about... He may have. I don't know. I'm saying that if somebody truly, you know, but I don't think you can go about doing evil and hoping you get that 30 seconds to ask for it. But that's not to say that somebody that hasn't done a lot of bad things in their life can't at the last minute be forgiven. Yeah, let's don't go there. I don't have my, I'm not sure if I had a theology degree, I could get through that. Um, well, but we, we do talk sometimes about seeing loved ones in heaven, so um, anyway, let, let's uh, try to move on and look at the, I'm that, that's probably the truest thing that's been said today, Dick. Um, looking at verses 9 through um, 20, um, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. And these next uh, verses are all out of the Old Testament. Um, Paul has just put them together. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They, have, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, verses, the latter part of 10, verse 10, and then 
11 through 18, as I said, um, come out of the um, um, Old Testament. Uh, let me find if I can get some of them. Uh, Psalm 14. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man, and he sees it there are, he sees if there are any who understand, who seek after the Lord. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Uh, looking in Isaiah 59, uh, verses 7 through 8. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of inequity. Desolation and destruction are in their highway. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. They have made their roads crooked, and no one who treads on them knows peace. Paul, you know, is telling them, these, here again, these are things you've been told before. They're things as a good Jew you ought to already know. It's there for you. He's just putting them back out in front of them, but he's also telling the Greek. It's there. You know, their throat is an open grave. It's the effect of sin. They use their tongues. That's the effects of speech, you know, to deceive. The venom of asp, you know, an asp is an extremely poisonous snake. That venom, you know, is right there. You know, what does speech do? They have no fear of the Lord. And so they are at risk if you don't have God, if you don't have Jesus. You know, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You know, everybody's going to have to answer. How you answer is up to what you've done. And those who rely on their works, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So you can go out and do good works. You can preach good messages. But by the law comes the knowledge of sin. You know, how many of us have, um, you know, I was thinking, <laughs> actually as I was waiting at the traffic light at Rocky Ridge in 280, like yesterday when I head off at 4.50 in the morning to go run and there's no car coming, hey, why not run the red light? Well, the police officer could be around the corner there just waiting on me with his lights off or her lights off. I know when I get pulled over what I've done, but I'm thinking, okay, what's it matter? But I know it's wrong. I heard a psychiatrist once giving a talk saying that if a person was driving a car in the middle of the Sahara Desert, nobody around for 500 miles, and there was a red light, some people would stop and others wouldn't. That's right. Yeah. But if the law says you stop, you know, we know it's wrong to run the red light because we know the law. Now, if you run the red light and you just go, what's that here for? Not, you know, it's somebody that's never seen a red light then 
But that doesn't excuse you. Because, you know, there are laws that, you know, here again, I think it's in Singapore, it's about chewing gum and spitting it out. It's against the law. Well, and, you know, so if you're someplace and you don't know the law, you don't know you've broken it, but you've still broken it. So if you see that red light in the middle of the Sahara and you know you're supposed to stop at red lights, yeah, you're supposed to stop at the red light and hope it's going to turn green sometime <laughs> soon. <laughs> and it's, or in Birmingham, actually, you can turn left on a red light if it's a one-way street. You're coming from a one-way onto a runway. But, you know, the point is you can't work your way to heaven. Because the law is there, and we just, we know what it is. We have the opportunity. Now, next week, we will go into, and it, it gets into one of those verses that, uh, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. It doesn't get any easier. <laughs> Thank y'all. Hope everybody has a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week.